Welcome to the city. Glad you guys are here as we jump back into Luke. And you know, before we start, if if life is about anything, it's it's about learning new things, growing, never settling, never getting too comfortable, like like pushing yourself in in, in different ways. And uh, something something about me, you may not know, I've I've been into construction for a little while. Like I've always learned, I've always loved to learn to do something new. I didn't grow up with, uh, you know, having any kind of skills necessarily, but when I got married and started buying houses, it's like, uh, I just wanted to figure it out. Right. And in the old days, and you know, this, if you're probably over the age of 30, back in the day, we didn't have YouTube. And so to learn something new, someone had to teach you, or you could go buy a book. And I don't know if you remember this, but I would go into to Home Depot and you go in like on the left, there used to be like these racks of books that you could buy, like how-to books. And that's what I did. I bought one and learned how to do flooring and lay tile and stuff. I learned about plumbing and I learned about electrical, about drywall repair. I mean, I did a little bit of everything. You know, the, you hear the saying, jack of all trades, master of none. That's this guy, right? I've just loved to learn to do lots of stuff. Now there's a YouTube video for just about anything you could ever want to do. The other night I was went down this rabbit hole watching videos on how to take my dryer apart. You know, it's just kind of the world we live in. But there's nothing quite like learning from somebody else. Like if you have somebody to, to teach you something, to mentor you, to, to walk you through how to do something. But it takes a special kind of person to do that, to want to teach somebody to do something. Now some people like to, to, to teach people to do things. Some people would rather just do it themselves. How many, how many of you guys in here would re- like you love teaching people things? Hopefully the teachers in the room are raising their hands, right? How many of you would just rather do it yourself because you'll do it better than anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, that, you don't want to admit it, but it's true. Like a few years ago, I started letting my son mow the grass and I learned something valuable about myself. I love teaching him a work ethic, but I love my yard a little bit more. So, you know, it just didn't look good. So today we get to see Jesus do this very thing. He's apprenticing his disciples. He's passing the torch and we're in chapter nine. Now we've made it all the way to chapter nine. We're starting a new chapter today, but in seven and eight, we saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. And he's kind of proving his sovereignty over sickness and disease and sin and the natural world and in the supernatural world and demonic powers and even over death itself. And he did all this to demonstrate that he truly was the Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament and prophesied about it in, in the uh, prophets. And Luke's purpose now, again, he, he's recording all this, he's investigating things, he, he's documenting the things that happen. And his purpose in all this is to help us to become sure that he truly is the Messiah. He, he was convinced himself and he's trying to convince us as well. So today we're gonna be in uh, chapter nine, like I said, Verse one, and uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can also jump on our app under message notes. The verses are there, the scriptures, uh, the the points are all there. It's a cool way to kind of stay connected to the sermon today. So uh, if you guys will stand as we read the scripture, Ty's gonna come and he's gonna read our, our scripture for us this morning. Morning, everybody. Gosh, it is kind of, 
more nerve-wracking being up here than actually imagine being up there. Um, this morning, I, I've, I volunteer here. Um, one of the camera people that come here every once in a while. But this morning, we're going to be reading um, Luke 9, verse 1 through 9. So, one day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought that Jesus was Elijah or one of the others uh, prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man from uh, whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. Thank you. You can be seated. So here we have kind of a famous story. Jesus is, is sending out the 12. Uh, these are the, the 12, as you remember, he chose back in chapter six. He appointed them to be apostles. And this is kind of a big moment in the story of Jesus and the disciples. Obviously, it's big for the disciples because they're, they're getting to go out and do ministry. But it's a big thing for, for Jesus, too. This is a kind of a significant transition in Jesus' ministry. Uh, at this point, he's about halfway through his three-year ministry. He's only about 18 months away from the cross. So it's all coming to an end very, very soon. Up to this point, Jesus had done all the ministry himself. He'd done all the teaching and the preaching and the healing. And his ministry was kind of confined to wherever he was. He was the one dealing with, with all the people, dealing with conflicts and handling everything. He was the only one doing the preaching, teaching, healing. Obviously, he's God, right? So the one that created the universe in, in six days, he's probably capable of doing that himself. I would think he's capable and he would be effective in his ministry on his own. But instead, Jesus here chooses to multiply his ministry by choosing these 12 men he had called to be apostles and, and using them to go out and do the ministry. It's basically an internship that would prepare them to minister on their own because eventually they are going to be without him. Jesus will be gone. And he's trying to prepare them to kind of run things. Up to this, up to this point, they had only been hearers and learners. And, and now they, they have to begin this transition to become preachers and teachers and messengers so they can carry on Jesus' ministry after his death. He, he's teaching them to do something. He's passing the torch. And so it says that Jesus empowers them to do this work of the ministry. They were granted this divine power and authority. And this, this is a pretty rare thing in scripture. In fact, in, in all of scripture, it's only been given to a handful of people. This kind of power is only given to Moses and then Elijah and Elisha, if you remember. And then Jesus himself had it. And now he's given it to these just 12 regular dudes. This kind of power given to a person that wasn't Jesus hasn't been seen in 800 years. So why? 
See, Jesus had a purpose. He was sending them out with a, a message. And then he gave them the power to do miracles, to kind of authenticate that message, to see if people would start to accept it. So he sends them out and he says, by the way, take nothing with you. Take nothing with you. Just, just, just walk out of the city and go and tell people about the kingdom of God, but you don't get to take anything with you. Can you imagine leaving on a several day journey with nothing but the clothes on your back? I mean, seriously, try to, try to imagine it for a second. No bag, no clothes, no phone, nothing. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about the panic of just not even having your phone. When you were a kid, I mean, you, you could just run out of the house and just be gone all day, and you didn't freak out. Nobody freaked out. Right? You had no identification. You had no phone. You had, you had nothing, and you'd be gone all day. I mean, try that when you get home. I, I guarantee you, you'll have a panic attack before you round the corner. Like, you're patting the pockets like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting something, right? I mean, admit it. You can't even go to the bathroom without your phone. Am I lying? No, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I mean, you think back, how do we pass the time back in the day? Maybe that's why Reader's, Reader's Digest was a thing, you know, I don't know. But, but why would Jesus do this? Why, why would he tell him not to take anything with him? It's, it's an interesting question. Some people think it's because it was going to be a short journey, but I don't think that holds any water because obviously they're going to be going to different villages. They're going to be staying overnight. It's going to be a significant trip. One possible reason for this is he wants them to, to avoid the appearance of preaching for profit. Now, this was kind of a problem in their day with these false teachers. They would try to get rich um, going from town to town asking for money. So since these 12 had been granted the power to alleviate basically all human suffering, right, they, they would have people coming to them for, for healing from diseases and, and even raising loved ones from the dead. I mean, there, there was going to be a, a little bit of a temptation there to try to profit from that, to try to get wealthy. But they were not to enrich themselves at the expense of suffering people. And he also tells them, you know, if, if you're going to a village, just stay at that one house. Don't move from house to house. This was because, again, in that day, there were these traveling false teachers that would move from house to house. And every house they visited, guess what they would do? They would ask for money. So he didn't want them being tempted by that kind of thing. It might also have been that this sending them out with nothing... It might also have been just to, to test them, to get them to, to rely only on God to supply their needs. In Matthew's gospel, in this same story, he says it this way, there's no need for them to take um, bread or money, and they were not to, quote, acquire gold or silver or copper for their money belts. They weren't even supposed to have a change of clothes. <laughs> they were supposed to rely on God's provision for their needs. He was... He was testing them. This was an apprenticeship, preparing them, right? This, there's a pattern here when, when making disciples, or really anytime you're trying to, to coach someone to do something or, or teach someone to do something new, there's kind of a pattern we, you, you follow here. There's, there's like, I'm, I'm doing it myself, right? But then I'm going to teach you. So I do it and you watch how I do it, right? The next step is I do it and you help me. The next step is you do it and I help you. And the last step is you're doing it on your own, right? And I'm watching. So this is, this is kind of the process the 12 are in. They're off on their own. They're, they're growing and learning as Jesus has kind of passed the torch and he's watching this process unfold. 
And he's telling them, don't prepare. Just go be obedient and watch what God will do. And then he tells them, oh yeah, by the way, there will be some that reject you. There are going to be some that, that don't want to hear the message. They, they turn you away. What happens if you take nothing on your journey? You go all the way to this village and they reject you. They're probably not giving you a snack. They're probably not giving you, obviously, a place to sleep. You're going to sleep on the ground with nothing. See, this is not just a test for them. It was a, a test for the nation. Will you be hospitable to God's messengers? Will you receive the message of the kingdom of God? If you remember from, I think it was last week, after Jesus cast out these, these demons from this guy, there were people in the crowd that were afraid, and they, they wanted to push Jesus out of the town. They were rejecting his message. They sent him away. See, in these days... Obviously, not a lot of hotels or Airbnbs or whatever. There was an expectation for people in a village to, to be hospitable, to welcome in travelers, outsiders, and they would stay in people's homes. But Jesus tells them, some are going to reject you, and when they do, shake the dust off your feet. He's basically telling them, whoever doesn't receive you isn't receiving me. And if they don't receive me, they're not receiving the one who sent me. So you should shake the dust off your feet. To shake the dust off one's feet was a traditional Jewish, Jewish gesture. This meant something to the disciples. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. See, when a, a Jew returned from traveling outside of their, their territory, like into Gentile territories and country, he would shake the dirt from the land off his feet and clothes when he got back to where he came from as a symbolic gesture of shaking off the, the pagan influences that could contaminate the Jewish people's lives and land. They were serious about it. It became kind of an act, an expression of, of disdain, of, of rejection, of judgment. If you remember in the book of Acts, you have Paul and Barnabas were rejected in the town and they did this, this very thing. They shook the dust off their feet. The apostles were to treat Jews who rejected their message as if they were no better than pagan, unclean Gentiles. It didn't matter if they were Pharisees religious leaders. It didn't matter if they were the most devout Jewish person. If they were rejecting the message of Jesus, they were pagans. And in Matthew's account, again, in Matthew 10, he adds this little tidbit that Jesus warned. He says, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of their judgment than for those who rejected them in their message. Wow. His command here, it reflects this is some pretty serious consequences to rejecting the gospel. And the same is true for you and I today. To, to say no to the message of Jesus means punishment, eternal conscious punishment. So they weren't supposed to waste their time with people that weren't ready to accept the message. But this wasn't just an issue of judgment. It was a question of priority. Remember, we're 18 months from the end of Jesus' ministry. When he hangs on the cross, he dies. 18 months. So Jesus knows time is short, right? It's, it's too precious to waste. Don't waste your time with people that have hard hearts. Some aren't ready to hear the message, so, so just move on. In Matthew chapter 7, in a sermon, Jesus said this. He said, 
Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, dogs in this day, in the first century in, in Palestine, they were, they were not like the dogs today. Uh, they, they were wild and dirty and potentially dangerous scavengers, you know, kind of like cats today. Um, they, they weren't usually domesticated pets like this one. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is my dog Bosco. And yes, he has a birthday hat on and a sweater to save your judgment for somewhere else. Okay. We, we're those people, but this is not the kind of dog that Jesus is referring to here. Dogs were gross back then. They were wild. They were dangerous. And the thought of giving what is holy, that is a sacrifice offered to God, to a dog was shocking. It was unimaginable to a Jewish person. And then throwing valuable pearls to pigs, you know, pigs in these days, it was the epitome of unclean animals to the Jewish people. It was just unthinkable. Both would be ridiculous since dogs have no appreciation for what is holy and pigs have no appreciation for what is precious. Don't waste your time, he tells them. So off they go to learn on the fly, to trust God's provision and to let God work through them in a a new way. And then we come to Herod. He said Herod was puzzled. He was perplexed. He was confused. He was hearing all of this stuff. And he was like, man, who is this Jesus? Some people were telling him it was John the Baptist resurrected, which really freaked him out. Because you remember, he's the one that had him beheaded. And he, he was haunted by this decision because he knew that, that John, he, even quote, he was quoted as saying he was a righteous and holy man. And he was kind of plagued by this, this guilty conscience. And he's like, oh my gosh, John the Baptist has come back from the dead to haunt me, right? He's freaked out. But then he's confused because other people are telling him maybe it's Elijah who's been raised from the dead or one of the other prophets. And he, he, he's, he's confused. He's perplexed. Who is this guy? And I think... I think Herod brings up a good question for all of us today. Who is Jesus? Who is he? What does it mean to follow him? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know him? Are are you truly a follower of Jesus or are you just a fan? This has been a theme of Jesus teaching the last few chapters. Is he something listed in your, your list of priorities? You know, maybe he's at the top or maybe he's a couple down, you know, if you're being honest or, you know, is he in that list or is, is he the page that your list is written on? Is your life built on him? What does it mean to to truly follow Jesus? What does it mean to really know Jesus? I have some takeaways today to, to kind of answer that question. What does it mean to know Jesus? First of all, to know Jesus is to follow Jesus. It's to follow him. It's not a, a, a once a week activity that we do, right? It's a, it's a daily following, a total surrender kind of thing. It's a take up your cross and follow Jesus. 
Back to that demon-possessed man, right, that, that Jesus delivered. The crowds were scared, but, but this man, he knew Jesus in a different kind of way because he had a personal experience with him. And what did he do? He bowed down at his feet. He worshiped him. He, he begged to go with him. He wanted to be with Jesus. My question for you, does, does Jesus have your heart? Do you have a relationship with them? A real, authentic, internal relationship with Jesus? Think about this. I don't know, maybe you or someone in your family, like you've, you've walked through some kind of addiction with someone. Think, think, about, think about what it might look like to be addicted to Jesus. I heard a sermon from Francis Chan this week that he talked about that. And I was like, man, that's, that's an interesting way to think, right? Think about when you're addicted to something. It's like, it's like that's all you, I don't care where you are or what you're doing or what's going on around you, that's all you're thinking about, right? You, you'll, you'll sacrifice anything. You'll risk anything just for a little more time. What does it look like to be addicted to Jesus? Is that, is that what your walk with him looks like? And, and, and maybe you're like, man, I, I'm so far from that. I'm not even sure if I really have a relationship. I know a lot about him. I come to church occasionally. I try to do some good things, right? I might even try to read my Bible or whatever. But you don't have a relationship with him. I, I think there, there's, there's reason to question if you truly belong to him. At the city, we have something called the City Seven. You've heard this quite a bit. Seven foundational truths that tell us why we believe what we believe. This week we're on number five. Why do I follow Jesus? I follow Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to be made right with God, a right relationship with him, restored, The only way to do that is through me, he said. And then he predicted his death and his resurrection, and then he pulled it off. He rose from the dead, giving him the power over over death and the grave and sin. Why? So so that God could have a relationship with you and me. You you can't have a relationship with him on your own. You you have a, a sin problem. God is holy and perfect. If you want a relationship with him, You have to take care of that that sin issue. That's what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life that you and I are incapable of living. And then he laid his life down. And in the ultimate act of love and grace, he sacrificed himself for our sins so that we then have a a chance to be made right with God by accepting that gift of, of forgiveness and grace that he is offering us. Maybe today that's, that's your first step, man. You, you got to get this thing right. Just like we've talked about time being short. Guys, time is short. Look at the news. We're not guaranteed another day. Jesus could return at any second. We might not make it through this service. So, so to toy around with this thing, like, am I a follower of Jesus or am I not? Man, it's, it's just foolishness. This is one thing we have to get right. And if you want to make that decision today, just put your faith in him, what he did for you on the cross. You're acknowledging, I'm a sinner. I can't be made right on my own. I want a relationship with God. So I put my trust in Jesus. I want to follow him. 
not just be a, a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want my life to be built on him. If you're making that decision, let us know about it. You can do that on the app, on our connect form. We'd love to talk to you about that relationship with him, what next steps are in that relationship. But knowing Jesus means following him. And here's the thing. If you, if you, follow, if you truly follow Jesus, it's going to get a little bumpy. Right? To follow Jesus, to know Jesus, is to get uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. I, I, I hate to break it to you. Somehow, we've got this idea that God wants us to be comfortable. We've talked about this quite a bit over the last few weeks. We, we think God wants us to be wealthy. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be blessed. And here's the problem. I just don't see that in Scripture. In fact, I see the opposite. Literally every faithful follower of Jesus suffered a bunch. It was, it was difficult for them. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to, to say God doesn't care about our comfort. God cares about your, your heart. He wants your heart. But we want to be comfortable. We want life to be easy. We want our kids to be comfortable. We want our kids to be successful. And we're more concerned about that than, them, than following Jesus. In fact, I was talking to Barry this week. You know, it's, it's a documented fact, something we've seen over the years, and it's documented through surveys even. The top two reasons that kids don't become missionaries and go into to unreached people groups, the top two reasons, the first one's debt. What's the second one? Parents. Parents. So our need for comfort and to protect our kids has kept nations from hearing the gospel. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Like, what, what's our job as parents? I mean, if we're really concerned about our kids, our number one priority should be them in the center of God's will, wherever that sends them. And get, I, 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 I get this question. I have three teenagers. Would I truly give my blessing to my child to go into a place in the world that, that may be violently hostile to the message of Jesus? Would I truly send them there? Would I be okay with that? Man, I, I, I hope to God that I would. And if I wouldn't, man, Lord, change my heart. Change our hearts. Jesus wasn't that concerned about sending the disciples into danger. He wasn't concerned about their comfort because the message was too great and time is too short. Back to Matthew's account of this interaction with Jesus and the disciples, he, he adds this little tidbit. Chapter 10, verse 16, he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. 
So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware for you will be handed over to courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. This doesn't sound like a great trip. He's like, it's, it's, this is not a vacation for you. It's going to go, it's going to go really, really bad. You're going to stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers, but this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. There it is. There it is. You're going to suffer. He's sending them out into certain danger and suffering. But he's like, hey, don't, don't worry about it though, right? Because this is your opportunity to tell people about me. We heard from Herod who John the Baptist, you know, we know how his story ended. He was, he was beheaded. And it's like Jesus is telling them that that's going to be your fate too, disciples. Like that's how your road is going to end as well. And then you have, even after them, you have, you have Paul and all, all the time in prison and being stoned and on and on and on. Why? Because the time is short and the message is vital. There's so much at stake. Your biggest hindrance in being a true disciple growing in your relationship with God, maturing in your faith, really, really seeing the full potential of what God wants to do in you and through you. The biggest hindrance is your own need for your comforts. We saw in the scriptures too, huge crowds of people following Jesus until when the message got difficult and then they're like, see ya. Are you a follower or are you one of the crowd? See, some of you, I think, today are afraid to fully surrender. There may be some area of your life that you've refused to lay down. You, you fear what it might cost you. Because following Jesus means changing. And some of you have decided that's just asking too much. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. Obedience is uncomfortable. Faith is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. If, if you're comfortable in your walk with him, you might not be doing it right. If following Jesus for you is easy and comfortable, you might be following the wrong Jesus. When was the last time you were uncomfortable? When was the last time you, you, you went out on a limb for him? When was the last time you were willing just to look foolish for him, to be embarrassed, much less physical harm, right? The truth is our message is vital. Time is short. There's so much at stake. We, we have work to do. That was Clayton's last point last week. There's work to be done. And that's my last point here is to know Jesus is to make him known. To know Jesus is to make him known. Back to that demon-possessed man that Jesus had delivered. Remember, he's at Jesus' feet. He's worshiping him. He's, he's, he wants to, he's begging, please let me go with you. What does Jesus tell him? No, go back home and tell people what I've done. You had the woman at the well who, after encountering Jesus, ran back into the village where she was absolutely an outcast, despised, and she, she tells the town, come and see this man. He is the Messiah. 
Jesus tells people that over and over, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. We're, we're only given so much time. We're only given so much influence. The people in your life that you have influence over, you're there for a reason. If there's only one name by which we can be saved, then we only have one choice. Like Clayton's told us over and over to, to get that message to them, to, to get to work. And you're like, man, I don't know. Why, why me? Why, why not someone else? I'm not qualified. I don't know what, I, what I'm doing. There's so many people that are so intimidated to, to share their faith with somebody. I, I'm in that boat with you. My whole life, like going, growing up in youth and stuff, they talk about witnessing. I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I don't know. What if I don't know the answers? I'm not qualified. I would argue that you are overqualified. Why would I say that? Because you have the spirit of God in you. His spirit is in you if you are a follower of Jesus. You take these 12 apostles. They were ordinary, common guys with no human credentials to qualify them to, to do this task, this most monumental task in human history. And even after three years of spending every waking hour with Jesus, in 18 months of intense training, they still screwed it up. In Jesus' hour of need, as he hung on the cross, where were they? They, they, they let him down. They were hiding. They were cowering in fear. So what happened? Pentecost. They're locked in a room. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter immediately goes out the door and boldly proclaims the gospel telling them you killed him. I mean, it, it was a hard message and 3,000 people became believers. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowering them for acts of service, bringing to mind all they had learned from Jesus, that they became men who turned the world upside down. This ragtag band of misfits defied all odds and this brand new cult, as it was considered, it was called The Way. It survived one of the most brutal oppressions in human history by one of the greatest superpowers the world has ever known, the Roman Empire. It not only survived, but it thrived despite Rome's best efforts. You had Nero, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire. He was literally famous for killing Christians. He was one that, that most likely ordered the beheading of Paul. He ordered the construction of the great Colosseum. He was known to force Christians into gladiator matches where they would be eaten by lions. And this is a quote said about Nero, quote, he often lit his garden parties with the burning carcasses of Christian human torches. This is what they were facing. And because of those 12, and the spirit in them, even in these hostile conditions, they changed the world. And you fast forward to February, this is an important date in history. February 27th, 380, 380 AD, a little over 300 years after Paul's execution. In Rome, we see the Edict of Thessalonica, which makes Christianity the official religion of Rome. And today, a Christian cross stands at this, this same Colosseum. And, and 
On that cross is this inscription. The amphitheater, one consecrated the triumphs and entertainments and the impious worship of pagan gods is now dedicated to the sufferings of the martyrs purified from impious superstitions. And all across Rome, crosses. Jesus died on a Roman cross. And these crosses across Rome, they're no longer symbols of torture or execution, but symbols of Jesus' death and resurrection, a symbol of hope and salvation and compassion, the love of God for humanity. That's what regular people can do when they are fully surrendered, obedient followers of Jesus. turn the world upside down and the same spirit is in you so so kind of have a three-part challenge here take the torch carry the torch pass the torch take the take the torch don't reject the, the the message of the gospel receive it and carry it don't just be a, a casual fan be a, be a follower of Jesus, have your your priorities of your life written on the page of Jesus, your life built on him and then pass the torch, pass it on. There's still work to do, time is short. We have been tasked in our generation, we've been given the responsibility to continue the work that the disciples started when Jesus ascended into heaven. It's in our hands, the gospel is in our hands now. We've been entrusted with stewarding the gospel of Christ. What are we doing with it? I want to invite you just to bow your heads as we pray. I'm just going to ask you some questions. As I, would, I would say, just ask God to search your heart. Get real honest before him. Who do you know that needs what you have? Who do you need to pass the torch who, who in your life is a hostage that needs rescuing like we talked about last week who needs the message of the cross who needs to be set free from their past from their sins parents how, how serious are you when it comes to, to training your kids to follow Jesus How are you stewarding your influence at work? Is there something in your life that you've been reluctant to surrender? God, we pray that we would take this message to heart, that that we would truly realize how how short time is. And God, you, you have us here on this earth for this purpose. God, we were born to bring you glory not for our own glory, not for our own enrichment, not for our own comfort, not not to be successful or whatever else, to to, to achieve some kind of goals. God, we are on this earth to, to lift your name up, to make you known on the earth. God, help us to, to start right where we are. Maybe that means adjusting some priorities. 
Maybe that means laying something down that we've been, been hanging on to that's holding us back. God, we wanna have fully surrendered hearts. We know that that's all you're concerned about, God, is, is do you have our hearts? So today, God, I pray that we would, even if, whether we're sure of it or not, God, that we would all be, God, you, you have my heart. You have my heart. And I wanna follow you. I wanna live for you. God, I wanna be a good steward of my time. I wanna be a good steward of my resources. I wanna be a good steward of my, my kids that you've entrusted to me. Father, let, let, let me be a, a beacon just that, that points to Jesus in every way I live my life. In Jesus' name.